Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. I hope this decade is going as swimmingly for you as it is for Arsenal Football Club. Yet to lose a game. Yet to even concede a goal. Yet to play more than one game. But hey... Fuck it. Start as you mean to go on, I say. And if you start with a 2-0 win over Manchester United, that's a good way to get yourself going. Of course, if this was the start of a season, we might be in better shape. It's not. It's just the start of a new year and a new decade. We're midway through a season, which, you know, is kind of in the toilet. But we take our enjoyment where we can get it these days. And that was thoroughly enjoyable stuff against Manchester United. So we are going to talk about that game. We're going to talk about the uh, some of the performances, some of the individuals, the impact of Mikel Arteta on this team, this club, this fan base has been phenomenal in just a couple of weeks. And, you know, we're feeling better about things. We've gone from feeling some sort of festering despair, and now it's a kind of Lego-haired optimism. If only there were a song that summed that up perfectly. If only. Everything is awesome. People out there who haven't seen the Lego movie will, of course, be completely blind to that reference. But there you go. A little bit later on, I am going to be chatting to Charles Watts of Goal uh, about Mikel Arteta, about some of the things that are going on uh, around the training ground, also looking ahead to the FA Cup game against Leeds. Uh, Some updates from Mikel Arteta. Uh, He had his press conference today, Thursday. So I'll be talking to Charles as soon as he's out of that. But first up, to discuss the 2-0 win over Manchester United, the feel-good factor that has returned to the Emirates, and lots more. It is Andrew Allen. Hello, Andrew. Hello, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too. Let me ask you something as a regular match-going fan, season ticket holder, who has sat through a period in Arsenal's history which has been, let me just say diplomatically, trying. Yeah. What did it feel like to win a Premier League game at home for the first time since October the 6th? Well, I mean, for me, it goes back to September the 22nd because I was a, I was away for the Bournemouth game. <gasps> wow. I was following that. So the last time I saw us win in the league was that Villa comeback. And I remember leaving the stadium that day pretty frustrated because obviously we'd made life very difficult for ourselves. So honestly, it's been 
it's been so difficult the last few months trying to you know going working your way to the stadium trying to fill yourself with hope um obviously the the game against chelsea was very frustrating you could see all the good things and still somehow we managed to to undo them at the end but this this was different it was like we were more prepared on every single level mm. um so did yeah you, it was fantastic did you sense some a change in mood around the stadium over the last week or so obviously as you mentioned Chelsea didn't go as well as we would have liked it it was going well and then it just took a sharp turn to the right um in the final stages of the game but there were there were very obvious encouraging signs from the performance particularly in the first half and those were evident again against Manchester United an early goal Arsenal dominating and in control but just in terms of the mood it's going to take a while i think to to sort of shake off some of the things that um that have plagued us and haunted us over the last little, the last little while but it, it seems to me anyway from a distance and obviously de- uh, talking to people online etc cetera, etc cetera, that there is a very definite shift in mindset that that um people are seeing things here that they haven't seen for for a long time and those are enough to provide encouragement and belief yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I have to say, I think the atmosphere at both games has actually been very, very supportive. So the Chelsea game, I really felt like people were really up for it, a kind of post-Christmas kind of let's go. Um, obviously, that died off a bit in the second half as Chelsea started to dominate. But then yesterday, you kind of had this weird mix where I think some people were probably quite hung over, but the stadium was very full. And then there were also loads of people who'd sort of started a real early drinking session. And it was quite, <laughs> you know, it was quite raucous. I felt like everybody's desperate to try and support the players through this. Um, there's an understanding that this is going to be a journey, that there needs to be some patience. Um, I mean, I think a good example perhaps is like, you know, Granite Xhaka's uh, reintegration. I mean, there was no suggestion, even when he made the odd mistake last night, that people were going to get on his back. And I think that's really important. By and large, I think the crowd was incredibly supportive. Um, That creates a better atmosphere. It makes you want to be in the stadium. It makes you want to stay in the stadium longer. Um, You know, the stands were pretty much full yesterday. I recognize, obviously, it's a big game. Um, But they were full also right up until the very end. Um, It just, all of it just makes you, you sort of think, okay, you know, maybe there is something to all this. Okay, this season's going to be difficult. We've we've got a bit of a rescue act on our hands. We might, you know, we've got a couple of cup competitions coming up. Um, there's reason to hope there. It's it's hard at the moment to say that top four is completely out of the question because all the <laughs> other teams keep dropping points as well. Um, I think that's very unlikely, but yeah. <laughs> it's the start of something. I love that. Like we've won one game in 15 and you're like, maybe top four is not quite out of the equation. Uh, well, there's nothing like I mean, the honestly, optimism. No, I agree. The table. It's I know, crazy. I know. I know. I agree. I, you know, it is crazy. And a, a few wins will send us rocketing up the table, I'm sure. But it is just the, the fundamental hope and belief and optimism that we have to have as football fans, which makes you go... Well, maybe if everything just comes together, uh, you know, I think, I think there's something to be said for the change in mood that that we could even consider um, having that conversation or not completely ruling it out. And I think there's something very interesting about the fact that, you know, Arteta has understood that the connection between the fans and the team and and maybe even sections of the club itself has been if not broken certainly damaged and he's been out to repair that from the very start uh, yeah. I think the fact that he's he's been a player quite recently and been a player at Arsenal quite recently you know um also a player at a time when things were 
uh, contentious. You know, with with the late stages of the Arsene Wenger era, you know, he went through periods where fans were unhappy and there was um, there was a bit of friction, you, you might say, between the relationship, uh, in the relationship between fans and the club. But I love what he said to the players. You know, he's he's aware that they have to be in control or take control of repairing that relationship. And he said to them, it's up to you, your body language and behavior. If you're able to transmit to them, they'll buy into it. If it's negative, it's a negative reaction from the fans. If it's positive, uh, it's a positive reaction and they're willing to help you. They're here to support you. And it goes back to, you know, it's like that cliche about, you know, somebody who may not be the greatest player of all time, the most skillful player, but if they if they put in the hard work, if they put in the effort and the running, fans will connect with that. And I think that's what he's asking from these players, you know, on a on a very fundamental level, is just to to work hard so that fans will get on board with you so that that the job of then implementing the tactical um elements of what he's doing become easier because players have got fans on side. Absolutely. I mean, I think everything has started to I think they're doing everything they can to kind of give off good vibes as it were I mean I noticed very quickly that the players now have started doing team huddles before the game just little things like Mm. that they're kind of like visual signs to the the crowd that the players are all in it together right um on social media you get the feeling the players are interacting with more positivity towards one another particularly after Bern Leno made his mistake there was a lot of players kind of when he made a post on Twitter or something, kind of being straight in there saying, don't worry about it. Um, definitely the body language thing, I think, is something that Arteta's tried to talk about to the players. Um, and it's obvious in the stadium. I mean, Arsene Wenger used to always talk about it. You know, in England, sometimes a player, when he makes a tackle, he'll get a roar like there's a goal in another country. You know, and that was very obvious the way that Aubameyang's racing into challenges and the crowd are roaring him on, clapping him. You know, Lacazette, who's had some pretty poor games recently, even he's kind of, you know, you get the crowd on side by just doing some of the simple things, which is showing effort, showing a desire to actually, you know, help your teammates. All of that is is, is really good. And that, I mean, look, we temper all of that by saying a long, long way to go. There's still so much they need to improve upon. Um, that was, again, yesterday, kind of 45 minutes of half-decent football. But there's another 45 minutes where we were very much under the cosh. So it's it's, it's positive. Um, real, you know, I feel like the seeds have been sprinkled. we just got to keep watering them now. Mm. I, I, I'm not going to take issue with you saying that we were under the cosh because I think United did have more of the ball. Um, but but very similarly to the Chelsea game, it just felt a little more secure. Like we've yeah. been under the cosh um, with Unai Emery in games. And, you know, we think to that Watford game, the away game, where that is the very definition mm-hmm. of under the cosh. We were under about 15 coshes uh, yeah. at that point, the amount of chances that Watford had. But, you know, again, yesterday, there wasn't a huge amount of danger from Manchester United. There wasn't really a huge amount of danger from Chelsea, um, even though it went wrong at the end. And, and in some ways, of course, we were masters of our own our own downfall um, because of the Leno mistake and because of the way that the second goal played out. So, you know, there's something to be said for the fact that even if we're not able to maintain this level of physicality, which allows us to dominate the way we did against Chelsea in the first half against United in the first half, 
there's something more secure about the organization, about the setup and everything else. That that means that if you do drop off, you're not immediately in full on panic mode. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I honestly felt like in the 15 minutes after half time yesterday, the players had been briefed that United were going to come at us strong. And actually, the best thing we could do was sit a little bit deeper, try and preserve some of our energy because we obviously went, you know, full tilt against Chelsea last week. I felt like they were kind of almost playing a little bit within themselves, just making sure that they, you know, let Manchester United have the ball to a certain extent, but make sure that they did so with all of our players behind it, as it were. So, um, yeah, we looked far more organised. We had a better shape. We were far more compact. Um, we were, you know, I think we've just, it was better game management, really. Mm, yeah. Um, it is one of the things that, that Arteta has brought in the, is it three games now? Um, three games, yeah. Three games. So, yeah, very, very early days. But but structurally, this team looks so different, doesn't it, that the shape of it in possession and out of possession is, is really impressive. Um, yeah. And that clarity of... I mean... Go on. I was going to say, I mean, absolutely. Just the distances between the players, both in and out of possession, is so noticeable. I mean, I'm in quite a lucky position where I sit behind the goal in an upper tier. And when you look down it became so obvious under Emery that there were huge gaping gaps. Like, you know, players were having to make 35, 40 yard passes just to try and find a, a player in front of them. Um, now you're seeing the gaps down to 10, 15 yards. It's a lot more manageable. You know, you can pop the ball around a little bit quicker. You don't need to take a touch because you trust yourself to make the pass first time. Um, all of that is just, it's so important, but they, yeah, they just got to keep doing it now. Yeah, they do. Um, I've completely forgotten what I was going to ask you there. Um, because you, yeah, no, I'm not blaming your interruption here, by the way. And I'm just talking here to see if I can remember what it was that I was going to say. Yes, I remember now. Um, Socrates and David Luiz on, on BT Sport talking about how um, I think there was something pointed that both of them said. One was Socrates saying the fun is back. And of course, yeah. it's not about fun, but, you know, uh, I think we know what he means. Um, like going to your job, uh, if it's a chore, it's not enjoyable for anybody. And it feels like perhaps that was the case previously. But also David Luiz saying, I believe in his football philosophy, which suggests to me that he did not in any way believe in whatever Unai Emery's football philosophy was. And the players appear to be on board with what Arteta is asking of them because they've played three games in six days, basically. They've put in a huge amount of physical effort. It's difficult. I know they're professional athletes, but we have to be realistic. You know, to play that much football in such a short space of time is not easy. Um, and you can't do what we did without understanding what it is that the manager wants from you from a tactical level on a, an organizational level and everything else. So to have that kind of an impact that quickly suggests that he has come in and really connected with this group of players. And it also suggests to me that they, they've, they want to be connected with. They've been looking for something. Something has been really missing from uh, the way that they've been doing their jobs, the way that they've been training, and Arteta has found what that is. I think there's a there's a certainty about Arteta, which actually I found quite surprising, and it, it hit me straight from that first press conference when he came in and said, this is what I'm here to do, this is how I'm going to do it, 
this is you know why I believe I'm going to succeed. And I think the moment you can get those ideas across very uh, succinctly and clearly, I mean, it's obviously not just going to be the fans who get it. I mean, the players are the ones who every day have to you know listen to him and work under him. It must have been a huge kind of oh crap. Okay, now I realise what we've been missing for the last few months because. As lovely a man as Emery was, I think it was pretty clear that him trying to get his ideas across, even though he may have got the ideas across eventually, it wasn't necessarily clear. It wasn't necessarily efficiently done. But I genuinely, I mean, when Socrates starts talking about the fun is back, I suspect there's, I mean, there's there's obviously some morale stuff going on there. But I also suspect that we're not necessarily spending three, four hours a day sitting in front of video footage, analyzing games in the same way that Emery perhaps did. Mm. Um, I know that the games are becoming thick and fast. So I thought it was really interesting when Louise was basically suggesting that, you know, it, it's better to sleep happy on four hours than to, you know, get eight hours of sleep when you're unhappy, as it were. Um, they're going to they're gonna be happy to work when when they're winning because you know you you're part of something you feel it i mean you only have to look at the number of games that liverpool have played in december all around the world basically and every win they just look stronger and stronger they don't look like a team who's tiring because they've got a busy schedule they look like a team who's building momentum so i mean look there's, there's plenty of teams that we can look at and go look what they do look how they do it um and i think maybe we are benefiting a little bit from arteta having that certainty from a, a, a team last year who won three domestic honors in in city um yeah, I mean, he was a bit of an unknown quantity, especially for some of the guys who didn't have him around as a, as a, as a, as a player himself. So I can imagine the people like Aubameyang, who didn't really know much about Arteta, kind of wondering what he was on about. And it definitely felt like there were some weird briefings going on. I mean, the stuff like his brother coming out on social media and saying, "Oh, he's just like Freddie and inexperienced and stuff." But they do seem to have kind of turned it round quite quickly. They seem to have really gone for the buying into his ideas. There are individuals in this team who have um, benefited significantly from Arteta's arrival. Um, And I know that uh, we're looking at players perhaps like Luis, Socrates, Granit Xhaka, um, as guys who didn't really perform as well as they should have. Uh, And again, maybe it's all down to Emery. Maybe you can put some of the blame on the players themselves. But I do think one guy, well, there's a couple of guys, but I want to just ask you about Lucas Torreira. I'm sitting here now just thinking about how Unai Emery used him, how he struggled to find an effective place in the team for him, despite Torreira showing when he first arrived that his best position was deep in midfield. Arteta's moved him back there. We're now seeing... uh, a rejuvenation from Torreira in terms of his performances, the, what he's producing on the pitch. It seems like it would have been a simple thing for Emery to do, to play him in his best position, but he, for some reason, didn't want to do that, maybe because he didn't believe in his um, physical attributes in, in that role. But, uh, you know, when we look at this squad and we think about who is going to be a key component of Arteta's team, he really stands out for me. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, the more... I, I kind of look back on those quotes where Emery was saying that he preferred to play Torreira as a sort of more advanced player. The more I'm just baffled by it, really. I mean, if the player himself is so adamant that he's not that type of player, it just seems so strange. But I mean, yeah, it's simple things, right? Talk to the players, ask them what position they 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 best fancy, then see if it works for you in your setup. I mean. I don't understand how you could take a player like Torreira who performed so well in that position in so many games last season and then decide that he's not the right fit for that. I, I recognise that Emery's favourite was very much Matteo Guendouzi. 
um, it felt like maybe Guendouzi was a bit more his man, despite the fact the two of them arrived at the same time. And maybe, you know, Mateo's sort of tired a little bit. He may well have a future if Shaka's going to stick around. But it's it's been a, a revelation watching Torreira because what you need is someone who's willing to snap into challenges, sort of retrieve the ball, um, make those quick turnarounds, start a counter-attack. It's everything that we've been missing in midfield. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's great to see him benefiting. I mean, I, I, I think, uh, you know, he's, he's going to have a... a we need someone else who can do that role behind him because he's going to be absolutely knackered in a few weeks time if we're asking him to do it week in week out so we need to find and train up somebody inside the squad i guess who can also do that same role um i don't know whether you know the likes of joe willock are, are necessarily the right person we maybe we'll go and look in the in the transfer market for someone um but it's it, it is it's vitally important mm. so let's talk a little bit about nicolas pepe who scored the opening mm. goal against Manchester United. He was given a start. It was his first start, I think, since um, we played Man City. I think he started that game. He did start that game um, and didn't start any of the subsequent games. And there were comments, of course, from Arteta about how he has to have confidence in a player to be you know, willing to give him a start and suggestions that perhaps in training he needed to work hard. And I think those things are probably true. Um, I think there's a, a real player in Pepe and I'm kind of confident that Arteta is going to get the best out of him because not only did he give him a start and he was involved in both the goals he obviously scored the first one he he, he took the corner for the second you know there were some really nice moments from him in the first half positive signs encouraging signs about what he can bring to the team but I thought quite notably in the early stages of the second half, maybe the focus wasn't quite there. The non-negotiables that Arteta talks about weren't evident in his performance. And there was no sort of, look, somebody have a word with him and tell him to to book up. It was like, you're off. Um, Mm. I feel like that kind of approach is something that uh, Pepe will hopefully benefit from. He didn't look particularly happy to be taken off. um, And that's, that's good. I guess you you don't want players to be happy, but I think this kind of no-nonsense approach, you know, demanding more from him is the way to get the most out of him. Yeah, I mean, I think there were maybe two... I mean, I, actually, I saw I saw a, a stat that seemed to suggest he had a 100% pass completion rate or something last night, which was interesting because at the time in the second half, as you say, those first 10, 15 minutes, he definitely gave the ball away a couple of times, whether he was attempting to dribble or, or somehow else. But I noticed that Arteta, from my position, the second time the ball was turned over or he didn't quite do something right, he really was like, you know, he sort of had a swing in the, in, at, at thin air and then immediately called over to the subs to sort of um, to get Nelson ready. Um, so it was that kind of ruthless streak. Like I think he had a, he had a feeling that he was tiring, and that was it. He'd made his mind up, and he was going to get him off and replace him, make sure that Maitland Niles was a bit better covered. Um, I, I, I think I think Pepe. It's fair to say is going to be a, you know, he, he's this is really going to be a, a, a long learning curve for him. I mean, he's he's obviously got skill on the ball. He is very good at taking players on, but he's also the type of player. It kind of reminds me a bit of our Sharvin, who he'll try the hard thing kind of more often than not. And as a consequence of that, the chances are you're not always going to pull it off. And because he's trying that in areas of the pitch when maybe we're trying to counter, it can easily turn into a turnover, which then creates, you know, gaps at, you know, in front of our defence, which causes us problems. So we're going to have to manage him. But I, I do have positive vibes about him. I mean, 
even in a, a relatively disappointing start to his life, he has scored five goals now. Um, he has had a role in several assists. Um, we just need to kind of piece it all together so that we get this final player. But we've seen it with other players. You know, it took Robert Perez a, a, a season really to start getting up to speed in England, and it's no, it's no, it's no sort of, it's not unusual, let's say, for a, a foreign player to come in, especially when you're coming in from a league like France, which is a little bit below where we are in terms of pace and physicality. But he'll get there. I do believe it. He will get there. I mean, someone was saying recently that you know Son had a pretty disappointing first season for Spurs, and I kind of see similarities because they're both kind of pacey players who uh, operate predominantly on the wing and I, I think that you know if, if we can get Pepe a bit stronger he'll he'll be much better ready to cope with 90 minutes I still don't think you're necessarily going to get like a proper tracking back all of the time type of player he may be a little bit of a luxury but um, we'll see if Arteta stands for that in the long term because obviously he turned other players at City like Sane and um, you know Sterling into guys who could really do a full 90 minutes up and down a wing and beyond Yes and I think that is what he's going to be demanding of the players you know that ability even if you don't play 90 minutes you've got to be able to do it you know if necessary Um, Mm. yeah so Ainsley Maitland-Niles uh, right back. Yeah. Uh, a, a position he says he doesn't want to play in, or, you know, he said in the past that he did not want to play in. Um, and when you think about where he might fit into the team elsewhere, you're, you're saying to yourself, come on, man, you know, it, you have a real chance here um, with injury to Hector Bellerin, who's who's still out, you know, and is going to take some time to come back to his, his best following a cruciate injury. Um I look at him and I look at Bakayo Saka, I look at Joe Willock, who I know has had, you know, a couple of recent cameos, which maybe haven't been uh, quite as impressive as some of his other performances. And I look at these young guys in the squad, Martinelli, uh, Emil Smith-Rowe, who might go out on loan, I think, in in January. Uh, I think James Benj was reporting that that he is uh, he's going to leave on loan, uh, depending how full our squad is, I guess. But but these kids, we've talked about, you know, Socrates, Luis, Shaka, Torreira receiving a bit of a boost, uh, experienced players, Mesut Ozil, another one who. Uh, you know, has has rediscovered some form uh, in the system that Arteta is playing. But when we look at these young players, it feels to me like they're kind of perfect for Arteta, for what he wants to do, in that he can mold them at this sort of nascent stage in their career to being what he wants them to be within the system that he wants to play. Like we have a, an 18-year-old winger playing really well at uh, left-back in Bakayo Saka. Yeah. Um, you know, I know Maitland-Niles has played the majority of his football for Arsenal at right back, and I think we might have to start considering that's what he is now. You know, he's not going to be a winger, I don't think, unless, you know, Arteta sees something in him when, when he's got a, another right back available to him. But it, it is a chance for these young players, isn't it? Because they've got a clean slate, a fresh start, a young coach who I think will connect with them really quite easily. Well, I mean, it's it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, Maitland-Niles, as you were saying, I mean, he's always he's never really considered himself a right back, but then he's never really played in central midfield for us, has he? I mean, he's he's had a couple of goes on the wing. Um, I I mean, I look at him and I think he's there shouldn't be any snobbishness, let's say, about the position you play when you look at how fullbacks influence the game for other uh, clubs. I mean, you only have to look at 
Liverpool, for example, and Robertson and Alexander-Arnold and the way that they are yeah. um, influencing things for Liverpool. And you think, well, actually, if Ainsley Maitland-Niles wants to make it at Arsenal, why not do it from fullback where the game has changed so much that a fullback can basically be the playmaker? He can be, um, the, he can be the winger that Ainsley Maitland-Niles says that he wants to be. Exactly. I thought what was really interesting is when you look at Saka and the way that he performed against Liège from that left back position, that, you know, there he was. He, he, he scored a goal. Um, he created another. Uh, there was a player influencing the game from a fullback position. Um, I know a bit's been written about the fact that we're playing with a slightly more inverted fullback so that someone like Maitland-Niles and uh, Kalasnach on the left yesterday kind of step inside a bit more to midfield to offer a bit more of a passing option for, you know, Xhaka and Torreira and Ozil and all the rest of it. So I think the way that we play will very much influence the way that they learn the role. Um, and it will be easier to, to learn that role in a team which is more compact because you'll be able to do a bit more forward play you won't always be stuck tracking back racing after wingers who've you know raced past you as we were doing under Emery um so yeah the structure will help the players learn the role it's interesting because I don't I mean honestly I don't think players should be so pigeonholed that they think oh I can only play one position I mean we need players who can play in several positions because you look at what happens to a team over the course of a season an injury strike and ultimately everybody's sort of left filling holes all the time um, that's just part of the modern game. It's not unusual. I mean, teams in Italy used to do it back in the 90s. They used to have loads of players who were kind of, you know, Grimondi-like. You know, they could go and fill in wherever they were asked. And um, I think uh, that would some that's something we've kind of missed at, in recent years. We've had so many players who are so defined by certain roles that they can play that, uh, yeah, I just think they need to be a bit more flexible. And I think if you're flexible in a winning team, you're just going to be happy to be on the pitch. Um, I think James Milner is a great example of that. Someone was talking recently about how many um, positions he's played for City and Liverpool over the course of the last five years. And obviously he's a player who's hugely decorated now. European titles, domestic titles, all of it. And that's just hard work. You do the basics well and you'll get picked wherever there's a gap. Yeah, it, it is. The versatility thing used to be seen as maybe a, an impediment to getting first team football or to, you know, to being a player who, you think about Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, who never really nailed down a position at Arsenal. Mm. And we were always going, well, where is he going to play? What's his final position going to be? Is it going to be a winger? Is it going to be, you know, wing back? I don't think that was anywhere he really particularly excelled, you know, there were moments where we we saw him play very well in central midfield, but Arsene Wenger very rarely used him there, not unless he had to. And now the versatility that you're talking about, um, yeah, is it, it feels like it's a key component for most squads. So, go on. I was just going to say, I mean, it's, it's particularly important for us to have versatile players at the moment while we basically go through what I expect to be something of a squad rebuild. Um, over the course of the next couple of windows, right? I mean, I mm. expect to see players leave. And in the meantime, we may not always find players are up to speed or they may not always be kind of quite right for the system. We'll have to adapt them and develop them and stuff. And in the meantime, all the players that we do have need to be as good as they can be in the roles that they're asked to do. Um, yeah, that was mm. all I was going to say on that. No, that's, that's fair enough. Um, so, you know, just to sort of um, bring things back down to earth, and I don't want to sort of put a dampener on anything at all, but are we jumping the gun at all here when it comes to Mikel Arteta? You know, I think we've been careful to sort of caveat everything by saying it's early days. And it's clear to me that there's been a lot 
to like about what he's done in a short space of time, both how the team has performed, how he's communicated with the players and communicated with the fans and, and all those things. But, you know, we've been a, you know, a starving man in the desert and somebody has just handed us a, a, a cheese sandwich that's been sitting out in the sun for three days. Anything you eat when you're starving tastes great. Um, do we need to be a little more constrained in the way we talk about stuff like this? Or, you know, is it okay when things have been bad for a while to sort of really enjoy what's been good, even if what's been good is, is quite minuscule in the grand scheme of things? Well, I think I think what we need to do is if we're we need to basically assess what our aims are for the rest of the season, and then how those aims are transferred to to next season. And when I, you know, when I when I look at what, where we were a few months ago, what I wanted to see was Arsenal playing better football. I wanted to see our players playing to their potential. And then obviously you layer onto that things like qualification for the Champions League, winning silverware. Now. We've got two trophies that we could potentially win, the FA Cup and the Europa League, and both of those are going to be um, starting up pretty soon. Um, I, I, I think, I think looking looking to the rest of the season, though, I mean, this is really about developing developing things for next year. Um, I know that we're desperate to qualify for the Champions League. Um, that, I think, is going to be very, very difficult, especially when you consider that a cup competition, it's, anything can go for and against you when it comes to the draw at certain times and injuries and all the rest of it. But what I want to see is that for the rest of this season, we basically go on a bit of a run. We build some momentum. We start to play better football. Um, I want to see the players looking and feeling happier on the pitch. And I, I want to look forward to going to Arsenal every week. If he can do that and it feels like we're making progress in that direction, then I'm going to be happy as a supporter. And I'm sure lots of other people will be as well. Um, but it's interesting. He's not he's not really spoken or Arteta hasn't really spoken about what his aims are in the short term, aside from really just trying to nail down some of the basics and get his philosophy across. He's certainly not talked about trying to qualify for the Champions League or anything like that. Um, yeah. I think to a certain extent, the players, well, sorry, the, yeah, the, um, the football executive committee are probably sort of taken that pressure off him a little bit and said, OK, we know where we are now. We just need you to do your best. And let's see how we, we go over the next couple of months and maybe reassess going into the spring. Yeah. It's sort of setting expectation levels, isn't it? Because when Emery came yeah. in, the expectation was get back into the Champions League. That was the yeah. expectation in his first season because, you know, it was something we nearly achieved. We finished fifth and, and uh, got to uh, the Europa League final, which would have given us that. So that was the expectation level. And that's what the expectation was going into this season as well. You know, when you mm. break your your transfer record, you bring in a player like Pepe. You know, it's a sign that you're you're spending money to make up the difference between where you ended last season and you know going into this new season. So the expectation level for Emery was up there. That's what it was, and and you know the more he fell below that expectation level, the more frustrated people became with it, and the less tolerant they were of what he was producing with the players that he had. Now, if the expectation level is much lower than that, I think it does have an effect on sort of the, I don't want to speak about the fan base as one giant collective, but as the overall psyche, you know, if you're not really expecting to finish in the top four, there is a bit more leeway. There's a bit more forgiveness. There's a bit more understanding about the task and the scale of the job that he has at hand. Yeah. I mean, look, if there's one thing I really want, aside from us playing better football, is actually to look more competitive in those games that let's say I was almost expecting us to lose before we even kicked off. 
So that means being able to go away to some of the big teams and make them scratch their head a little bit and figure out how they might try and beat us. Um, I mean, to be honest, I set that out as a, an aim when Emery took over. I said, look, if we can get to a, a, a situation where we're going away to City and Liverpool and they're thinking, OK, this is going to be a tough game, that would be great. We never got there, though. Um, I still feel like that's something that Arteta should be working on a lot towards next season when I think really he, you know, the pressure starts for him. But being competitive, being competitive and and, and, and trying to win football games and, and instilling a sense of hope in fans that, you know, this might go our way. You know, we, we don't just have to sort of mark it down as a, well, we're not going to win today kind of vibe because that's really depressing. It is. It is. Um, that's what's been most depressing about the last um, few months, really, has been this this idea that regardless of who you're playing, you're. it's not that you have a chance to win, it's that it's quite likely you won't win. Um, mm. So, yeah, look, that, that turning around in and of itself is a really positive thing. Right. We better leave it there. Andrew, thank you, as always, for your time. Thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed to Andrew. You can find him on Twitter at A. Allen Sports doing stuff on Arsblog News. And he is the co-host of the Left Field podcast, which is a left field look at sporty stuff rather than being a tribute to the uh, British electronic music group who released the album Leftism, which is potentially one of the greatest albums of all time. Maybe they can pivot to left field if left field sports analysis doesn't work. You can find them on Twitter at leftfield underscore pod. So give them uh, a listen if you're looking for more pods in your life. And who who isn't? Let's be honest. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Okay, then, lots going on from a footballing point of view. Arsenal have got Leeds United in the FA Cup on Monday night, and ahead of that game, Mikel Arteta met the press, and we now meet one of those press from goal. It's Charles Watts. Hi, Charles. Hi, Andrew. How you doing, mate? Good. Happy New Year to you. Let's talk a bit about Mikel Arteta because you were just out of his press conference uh, today, Thursday, uh, ahead of the Leeds game on Monday night in the FA Cup. He seemed a very happy man after the win against United, as you would imagine. How is his mood today in the in the warm glow of that victory? Yeah, very similar. He certainly is a happy man and and uh, quite rightly so. It was, a, it was a big win for him. It was a big win for Arsenal and um, you know, we came in, well, I think we probably, by the time he sat in front of us here, he was only about 14 hours after he'd sat in front of us 
at the stadium mm. last night. And um, yeah, he's still a very, very happy man. He's been with the players this morning, just going over a few things. And um, you could just, there's just a good mood around the place, isn't there? I mean, the stadium yesterday, it was it was really noticeable. I mean, it carried on from the Chelsea game because although the Chelsea game ended in a bit of a horrible fashion, it was, it was it was so much positivity around the club after that performance and what they what the players put into it and it just carried on against United and I thought the mood in the stadium at the end of the game with fans staying until the end and cheering the players off it's just it was, he's he's created an atmosphere already and just walking into the room today you can you can sense it he's got he's he's a confident confident guy and he believes in what he's going to do and the players are beginning to buy into it and you know m- myself as a fan and a journalist as well I'm buying into it I can see he's setting out a clearer a clear vision here and you know, it's early days but it's uh, I think it's exciting times yeah there were some interesting little bits and pieces going on for example he's he's trained a couple of times on the Emirates pitch mm. now we saw Unai Emery do that when he first arrived but you wondered if it was maybe more for his own benefit you know to get a feel for the stadium and, and everything else um, but Arteta brought the players in on the day of the game at 8 o'clock in the morning to do a little training session. That's kind of new. And it's small little details like that when you win a game against United that people will pick on or pick 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 out, I should say, uh, as something different. Uh, bringing, bringing a, you know, a change to training. It's not just London Colney, um, as people know, is a very comfortable place for the players, which isn't to say they don't work hard, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, to sort of change things up a bit, um, it probably just shakes them out of a, a little bit of a, a comfortable mindset. I think so. I think that's the important thing. It's more of the change in the routine. I don't think they really did too much in that training session. The players didn't even get out of their tracksuit bottoms. It was more of a more of a sort of tactical, a run through on the tactics. And I think just being in the setting of where the match is, uh, Arteta was hoping that was going to help. And um, I'm not sure he's going to do it before every single game, but certainly on occasion, if he feels it's going to, it can help, then he'll do that. And that's what he's, he's going to try and do. He wants to get them out of the comfort zone that they've possibly been in and, um, and just change things and bring a whole new mentality to the squad. And, um, you know, I tried it with a, when he, he went there at the start of his reign, I think that's all ended with the, with the Ozil story that leaked out about um, the sort of spat that he and mm. Ozil had. And I think they didn't train again on the pitch after that, because I don't think Unai was too keen on the lack of secrecy of what went on there. But, um, but Arteta is certainly planning to do it on a fairly regular basis. And I think the players are, the players are, like I said, buying into it. Every time you speak to the players now, and you hear it, and you hear them talk, it's just you know they they just feel what he's trying to do, and it's it's really encouraging. Because I was a li- I was a little bit worried when he came in. I you know I was excited he arrived, and I actually wanted the appointment, but I was a little worried about how some of the players might view him, given his age, given his you know lack of experience. But you know, the, the, he certainly won them over very quickly, or that's the sense you get when you speak to him or you hear them talk on the, in different interviews. Mm, well, I mean, the thing is, if they don't get on board with what he's doing. You know, it's not them. Or it's not Arteta that's going to be leaving. You know, no. I think I think that that dynamic has been made clear, and I, I assume he had some, you know, some um, assurances from the board that if he needed to make difficult decisions, he could make those difficult decisions. You know, ultimately, though, players want to win football matches, don't they? They want to enjoy themselves out on the pitch, and they want to they want to to win. Uh, and if he can make that happen for them, then they're immediately gonna they're immediately gonna like w- what it is that he does. I mean, what what's your sense from you know? I know it's been a very short space of time, but. You know, what's your sense of, of how he feels the job is going for him? Because, you know, it was a uh, a couple of draws 
or a draw, a defeat, and a, and a win uh, in his first three games in charge. So he's got the hat trick out of the way. Um, do you feel like he's maybe a bit pleasantly surprised at how well the players have reacted to what he's doing? I think he must be. I think we all are, to be honest. I, I'd never imagined seeing this group of players who looks totally bereft of any sort of confidence and, and any sort of quality, to be fair, barring a couple of individuals, to be playing like they played last night and playing how they played for the first hour against Chelsea. And, um, the way, the, the speed of which they seem to have adapted to what he's trying to do and bought into what he's want to do, uh, it's been really, really impressive. So, yeah, I think he is. He did say today, interesting in his press conference, that um, he may be, having arrived here, he's actually realised that the challenge is bigger than he expected, which I thought was quite <laughs> interesting, But um, because it was clearly a very big challenge. So for it to be even bigger than he expected, uh, I thought it was quite an interesting little insight. But um, I think he's certainly impressed. And he's talked about, he talked a, a bit about transfers today and um, um, obviously Callum Chambers' injury, Callum is having surgery right now actually as we as we speak and they still haven't revealed the exact extent but you just said it's a significant injury that will change transfer plans for this month so I imagine it might be a loan they might be looking at bringing in a loan cover that they weren't really expecting to um, but he, he, he sort of expanding on that he said his main focus is just working with the players he's got here and improving them and that's what he wants to do and that's what excites him he excites working with he's excited by working with the young players and getting more out of them and that's his main focus not signings he said the club will try and make do, do some business if they can um, in January but his main focus is on proving what he's got to work with mm, it's it's interesting isn't it because I think at the start of the season, and certainly for a large part of this season, even when things were going poorly under Unai Emery, I, you know, I thought to myself, look, these players are capable of better than this. They're they're surely not this bad. That can't be the case. You know, they they've got to get it together at some point. They got to start playing. They got to start you know winning some games. It'll happen. And then it didn't happen. And you sort of go, well, actually, maybe the maybe the players are as bad as I thought they were, or, or you know. Um, but that the mindset, again, has, has changed a bit with Arteta coming in. You look at what he's getting out of players who badly underperformed under Unai Emery. You know, uh, Louise just never really did it and has been very, very good in the three games that Arteta's been here. We have Socrates looking solid. Granit Xhaka is back in the fold, and I want to ask you about him now in a minute as well. Um, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, Lucas Torreira in his best position. You know, players are... Be- uh, Mesut Ozil, obviously. So there is the scope for improvement um, that maybe we didn't think was there or that in the, in the midst of the darkness we, we didn't think was possible. No, I don't think Unai Emery helped himself at all and helped Arsenal's cause at all with some of his decisions. So, I mean, the Lucas Torreira situation was totally ridiculous and he's being made to look more ridiculous by the week. Now he's being back, he's back playing in where he should have been playing and the performances that he's putting in, how important he's been in the in the team's performance as well by, by playing there. I mean, I, I will never... I will never understand what Emery was trying to do with Torreira no. and moving him out of that position and basically leaving Granit Xhaka to be like a lamb to the slaughter in a, in a role that he couldn't do. And that had such a massive effect on the team. The amount of shots they were conceding on a regular, you know, game by game was was down to the mid- midfield setup, And that was totally down to Emery and the, and the formation he was trying to play. And so I don't think he helped at all. But I, I do agree. At some point, you did start to think, God, are the players actually this bad? And because the results kept kept going, uh, going um, 
the wrong way. But I do think that Emery has to take an awful lot of the blame for what what happened at Arsenal. He he, he simply wasn't good enough. He lost his way. He got very he confused himself, and um and Arsenal you know suffered because of that so uh, yeah. it just feels like the, the gloom has been lifted I mean listen to Socrates after the game last night he says the fun is back you know so, uh, David Luiz saying that he'd rather sleep happy for four hours and sad for eight hours you know, <laughs> it, this was not a happy training base but it's by the end of Unai Emery mm. I remember being here for the training session before the Frankfurt game when he eventually sacked the night the day after and it was it was like was like a morgue it really was it was they were it was depressing to watch just how low it was around here and uh, you know and that's all been lifted now by that by the decision and Arteta coming in and, and the players buying into his ideas mm, you know things are you know on the up when Socrates is smiling so <laughs> yeah. we haven't seen too much of that from him and understandably so I mean just playing devil's advocate a bit though you know people will say well these are the same players. They're clearly capable of much better. Could they not have put in more of a shift under Emery? And I'm sort of, you know, erring on the side that you're coming at this from because I do think, you know, he created the the atmosphere and created the environment in which he was ultimately sacked. But throughout, you know, I did see a lot of people say, "Well, look, you know, you've got to. You can't just talk about the the coach. You've got to put some of this on on the players." Yeah, I mean, some of the players do have to take the shoulder of blame, but I do think if you're in a in a working environment, whatever industry you're in, that is just you just turn up to every day, and you're like, oh, you know, you're not excited by it, you're not you're not inspired by it, then you're not gonna you're not gonna perform at the top of your level. And I mean, like I said, I mentioned the Torreira situation. He's not, you know, he still worked hard, didn't he? Every single mm. game, he tried, he tried his best, but he was just playing in a role that didn't suit him. And the same with Meza Özil. You know, Özil to get the best out of Özil, you need to set a team up around him. And Arteta's doing that, and he's he said it openly that he plans to do that. And to he wants to focus more on Özil's strengths and his weaknesses. But it was an opposite with the Emery, wasn't it? He was he, he, the focus was always on Özil's weaknesses rather than his strengths. And you know, if you if you if you're playing under a coach who's constantly focusing on your weaknesses, you're just not going to play to the top of your level because your morale is going to be low. And um, I, yeah, I, I, I'm clearly not Unai Emery's biggest fan. And, uh, <laughs> I, I, I fully, you know, I was very public in that during the last few months of his reign, and I, I, I can't believe now sitting here that they didn't make the decision at least two months earlier it was oh. it was they should have done they've wasted a season by sticking with it yeah look i know uh it's um it's probably a discussion for another day and it's it's water under the bridge who knows how expensive that water might prove to be you know in terms of european qualification certainly um and I don't necessarily want to get into this now because we're all feeling quite good about what's gone on against United and and I think we should try and maintain that feel-good factor as long as possible. But, you know, there are people who make decisions, footballing decisions at the football club who should be feeling a little bit of pressure because of where we are right now. You know, at, at, at executive level, the the guy who's basically responsible for football, the head of football, should be feeling a little bit uncomfortable, you know, based on the position that Arsenal are in mitigated by the arrival of of Mikel Arteta and we all feel quite good about that but you know look at where we were when he took over and look how long it's taken to sort of um change the trajectory of this this um this fall that we were on so maybe we can talk about that another day but I do want to talk to you about Granit Xhaka who was brought back into the side he played very very well I think against Manchester United um the sort of game we know he's capable of having, but too often those 
performances are punctuated by uh, mistakes or issues or cards that, that, that get people on his back. Arteta has been very clear about how much he thinks of Xhaka as a footballer. I think he called him a tremendous footballer um, and, and did talk about how he maybe wanted to sign him for, for Manchester City or he was somebody that Man City were looking at uh, before he joined Arsenal. Um, you know, a few weeks ago, it felt really unlikely that there could be a redemption for Xhaka. Um, and if Arteta maybe was looking to play to the crowd, he could use the Xhaka situation in his favour in a way because he hasn't been the most popular player. But he's, uh, again, sort of sticking his neck out here, making a decision which isn't going to be popular with a lot of people. Um, you know, he's got his fan Xhaka, but he's also got his critics. Uh, and after everything that went on, you know, it was all a bit up in the air. But he's very clear about what he wants from Granit Xhaka and he's backing him very publicly. He is, yeah, and he did it again today. Actually, he spoke really well again about uh, about Granite and the whole situation and how he wanted to get to the root sort of cause of it all when he arrived here and sat down with Granite and you know really tried to work out why how how it had reached this stage and why he was feeling like he had to move on to to carry on his career and again reiterated how much he wanted to keep him and that again like he said yesterday that Jack has given him assurances that he will he will stay and um, I think it's, it's a it's a good move for Arsenal. I mean, I'm not. I'm not massively in the Granite Xhaka fan club, but I do think he is very important to this Arsenal team. And when he plays well, Arsenal play well. Um, and playing playing alongside Torreira, but slightly in an advanced role of Torreira, um, he, he's a very good player. He showed that last season before Emery inexplicably you know, swapped him round. And, um, and he played he played really well against United. And the, what he brings to the team, no one else can do. So when when Jack is not available, you really see how much Arsenal miss him. And like I said, he make if he's playing well, he makes Arsenal tick. And he played very well against United. Mm. Um, and, and shown really good leadership. And it, for someone so young and inexperienced as well, this was a really difficult situation to walk into. And he, he's handled it very very well. He's got Jacker back on side. He saved Arsenal a real issue in terms of the January transfer window because if Jacker had walked out now like he would have done if Emery was still in charge, then it's like, how do you replace him in January for such an important position? I don't think Arsenal would have been able to, so they would have been far weaker. But now they at least get to the end of the season when you've got more of a chance to, if Xhaka does go, they can get get in a proper replacement who they actually plan long-term for rather than a bit of a... Yeah. bit of a... Um, just a crisis signing they've had to do because of something that's been thrust upon them six weeks before the window. So sure. I think he's handled the situation really, really well. And, and Xhaka is an emotional guy as well. It's not easy to sit down with Granite and Xhaka and talk about something <laughs> like this and to get him back on site. So for Arteta to walk straight into it and to do it, yeah. and probably not have to just do it with Xhaka, but his dad as well, is is a pretty. It's, it's not the easiest thing for a coach to do, and he and he seems to have done it and done it successfully. And and, uh, and credit to him for that. Yeah, I mean the thing as well is that um, it, it also allows you to perhaps sell him properly um, in, in the summer. You know, to work out time for him to go to a, you know whatever club he might want to go to if he is going to go in the summer. Maybe Hertha Berlin will still want him then, um, but you know he may I have other they options. To, they need to sort the money out though, because yeah. all the money that was being mentioned for Jacker was given, despite the situation, was ridiculous. Really, twenty twenty one million or something for. For an international captain, he's just signed a new contract. You know, given today's market, there's no way Arsenal could even consider doing business for that, even though everything's gone. So, so yeah, I, I fully agree with that. I think if if he does go in the summer, then at least now they have an opportunity to, for the dust to settle and mm. to you know really work on getting the best deal possible for the club. Mm. Just very finally, let's talk about the FA Cup game on 
Monday night against Leeds United. Um, it's been a punishing recent schedule. There are going to be some very heavy legs. And there are going to be some little aches and strains and niggles and what have you. Um, what way is he going to approach this? I know that the cup is a, a chance of silverware and Arteta, you know, has experienced that as an Arsenal player. He knows well what it's like to, to win the FA Cup and those are great days. But how is he going to balance his squad, which is, you know, it's a bit thin at the moment. There are injuries. There are players just coming back from injury. There are players carrying some injuries. Um what what has he said about how he wants to approach this game and has he hinted at any sort of squad management? I think there'll certainly be squad management. He did say that, you know, the FA Cup is a competition that Arsenal have to try and win and be competitive in. So I don't think he's gonna go out there and field eleven kids, but I think you're gonna see you're gonna see changes. You know, maybe if Bellerin's Bellerin's back remotely up to speed, he could come in and right back and I wouldn't be surprised to see possibly Boller playing at left back someone like that he's been training a lot with the first team he was even on the pitch on that um, for that session before the Man United game on the morning of the Man United game he was involved in that and, you know, I wonder if it's time to give um, Saka well it is certainly time to give Saka a rest I think and, and Kalasnac clearly limped through the pain yesterday so yeah. I think at left back you can't take any risks at the moment so I wouldn't be surprised to see maybe a, maybe a young Scott Boller thrown in there but other than that I think he'll you know, he'll mix and match. He'll play, you know, Guendouzi will come in. I think Rob Holden will play um, against one of the, uh, alongside one of the two experienced centre-backs in, in Luis or Socrates. And, um, you know, then you've got Nelson, Martinelli. So I think he'll, he'll, he'll approach it like he wants to win the game. He's certainly not going to go out there and throw this one far from it. Mm. There's no point because the Premier League's already gone, isn't it, this season? So you've only got two competitions to focus on, really, mm. at the moment. So um, he'll, he'll, he'll approach it in a way that, um, to try and win it. But, I don't think, yeah, he'll certainly use squad management. I don't think he's got any other option. Yeah, a bit of a balancing act, in, in yeah. fairness. I mean, there's Danny Ceballos there, Mavropanos has yeah. been on the bench, of yeah. course, the, the last couple of weeks. So maybe a chance to see some of these players um, because for all the work they do on the training ground, match day is when you can really get a good sense of you know what these players can produce. But look, we better leave it there. Um, thanks a million, Charles. We'll talk to you again soon. Cheers, Andrew. You can find Charles on Twitter at Charles underscore Watts. That is at Charles underscore Watts. And of course, he writes about Arsenal for goal.com. Um, I don't know what else to say other than um, I hope your new year is going well. Uh, I hope your new year's resolutions are working out for you. Mine are really simple. I'm going to do some stuff and I'm going to not do some other stuff. That's it. You know, it's quite broad, I realize. It's a bit sweeping. It's uh, kind of all-encompassing. But, you know, if you get too specific about things these days, you get pigeonholed. Don't want to be stereotyped as the guy who said, well, I'm going to do this for the new year, and then you don't do it. People won't let you forget that these days. So whatever you're doing for the new year, I hope you do it well. Arsenal don't play until Monday evening, of course, so it's uh, an Arsenal-free weekend. Um, And then we've got FA Cup action against Leeds ahead of Crystal Palace in the Premier League next week. But still, plenty going on. Lots to keep us interested over the weekend. So make sure you check out Arsblog, Arsblog News. I should just say say to people who uh, use the Arsblog apps and who are regular Arsblog News readers, we do know that there's a bit of a problem at the moment. Uh, When things get busy, the site becomes a bit slow to respond. We're working on it. We are doing 
doing our best and hopefully we'll have a solution in place as quickly as possible. But apologies uh, for the inconvenience because I know how frustrating it is and it's frustrating for us as well, trust me. Uh, but we are hoping to get on top of that very soon in the in the next couple of days anyway or certainly uh, by early next week. Um, yeah, that's it. I don't know what else to say other than have a great weekend. Uh, enjoy the fact we've won a game at last I feel like we should have been doing a lot more of this because it's a lot more fun than than not doing it. Uh, but it is what it is. Uh, have a great weekend. James and I will be here on Tuesday because the game is on Monday night, so we will be recording an Arscast Extra on Tuesday uh, about the Leeds game and you know all the bits and pieces that have gone on between now and then. So thank you as ever for listening, subscribing, sharing, and doing all the stuff that you do. Happy New Year, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. Hey, Josh. It's me, your dad. Stan. Oh, hey, Dad. How's it going? Not great, J-Boy. That new stadium is going to cost another $72 billion to build. Wow. Good news from over here, though, Dad. We got a new manager for Arsenal. What's an Arsenal? You know, that team in London. What's a London? Oh, you're so funny, Dad. But it's so great. Remember the last guy? He was good. His name was Arsene, like Arsenal. Oh, yeah, that guy. Well, this guy's also got the R thing going. He's called Artidu. Artisanal coffee. Artitur. Hang up the phone, Josh. I've warned you about that shit before. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 